Now, if you'll join me in your Bibles on the back of your bulletins, um, today's scripture reading is Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 and chapter 3, verse 13. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning. Thank you for these words and thank you for this community. Thank you for this place and this time to stir one another up. I pray that as we're here, uh, if any of us are stirred up or encouraged to pray or meet or speak, that you would just push us through your spirit to be encouraging, to pray with one another, and to take this time this morning uh, to be your community and be stirring one another on. Be with Brian as he speaks and make us humble to receive his words. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Am I on? I think I am. All right, before, there we go. Before we begin this morning, I just want to do a very quick special announcement. And I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it over and over again, and that is this, that there are many, many people behind the scenes in our church family that make our church family a healthy place to be, a healthy community. Sometimes, you know, you see people up front, and and it's important for everyone to know that that's just a very small part of it. But it's what makes a church really healthy is people behind the scenes. And um, one of the most faithful kind of behind-the-scenes guys uh, that I know is Dermot Stoker, and, and um, so I just want to invite Dermot just to come up for one second, if I can get you to come on up. <laughs> you got some audio. Wow. Wow, wow. And uh, uh, it, good. <laughs> I don't know how many people have uh, eaten dinner at the Stoker's home, Dermot and Tracy's home, but there's, you know, the list is extremely long, and um, their hospitality and their friendship, um, you know, over the years just means so much, and Dermot has uh, been the, the regular chef for our summer men's Bible studies, and uh, just put so much time and effort into it, and, um, you know, as, as men, we, we love to eat and uh, enjoy it. But somebody has to, to put the time and the sacrifice to make it all happen, and that's Dermot Stoker, and, and just he regularly does that. So we just want to say thank you, Dermot, so much for that. And, well, and you're just very kind. A little gift for you. Well, thank, thank you so much. You. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, just to, uh, I, know, I know that uh, many of you know this, but... Um, his, his partner in life, Tracy, is here 
um, every Sunday morning early, just about before anyone else, and help serve and set up. And so um, thank you to Tracy as well. This morning we are uh, continuing our short summer series on growing in grace. And um, so this morning I'm speaking, and uh, next Sunday Joel Apata will be speaking. Um, this, sometime today, I'm not sure when, sometime today the Kelly family is uh, going to hit the road for a little family vacation trip. And we're going to go up to make a huge loop up from Idaho, and then northeastern Washington, and then out towards uh, the coast and uh, see my family. So we won't be here next uh, week, and uh, I know you guys will all enjoy Joel Apata. So here's where we're going, though. So for the next three weeks, we're talking about growing in grace and the, the means of grace. So what, what are the things that God gives us to help us grow? And so here are three things we're going to look at over the next three weeks. Number one is this. You have access to God's voice, that God will speak to you. One of the ways that God gives you his grace is he gives you his voice, that he speaks to you. Next, you have access to his ear, and that is prayer, that you can speak to God about anything. And, then, um, and that's what Joel's going to speak on next Sunday. And then this morning, we're going to talk about um, what it means to be a part of a community, that you have access to his community. And, and that is uh, what you see today. And um, you know, I've said this before, but what you see is what you get. So this, this, is, our, this is our family, and if you're a regular um, part of our church, then um, this is who we are. And, um, and I can tell you from my own attitude and, and my family, my heart, that we are just so thankful um, for the friendships we have here and for our church family. But part of that, what, what it means to be a part of a family, is that we spur each other on, that we, we encourage each other to grow. And... You know, I've mentioned this before, that, that most of my life, I did not like church at all. And um, it, it just, it's just it, the, the irony of God working in our lives, and I'm a pastor of a church, is that's God's like, sense of humor. Because my, my memory uh, is just not good, and I, I've shared a couple of these things. But I remember, I don't know how old I was, 12 or 13, something like that. And um, my friend had a dirt bike, and we would ride dirt bikes. And we had this like, little special trail that I could go from my house to his house. It was probably about three miles away. You could take trails the whole way except for one little spot. One little spot. And it was about one block that you had to ride on the road. And it was like from my house to a block. Then you could hit the golf course trail and you'd be off. Well, the, the one neighbor who was a, a church-going guy, and um, his name was Buzz. And I wish I could just perfectly describe him to you. But he was, he was a part-time sheriff deputy. And um, he was healthy in the midsection, we can say. And I remember that he would, he'd walk to work because down the street from our house was the courthouse. And he'd, all I remember as a kid, he, this big 357 on his hip. And he'd just walk to work, you know, with that good kind of chip on the shoulder, I guess, kind of thing. And I remember riding by uh, the dirt bike by his house one day. And um, he called the police on me. And instead of like saying, hey, Brian, get the dirt bike, he called so, and, and that, unfortunately, was like my second run-in with the law, so that meant I had to go to like the diversion program. I was such a horrible delinquent person <laughs> for riding the dirt bike about 100 feet on asphalt. But I remember thinking, you? Like, what? Like, I see you at church all the time. 
you know, you're 12 or 13 years old, and you're like, I don't want anything to do with you, right? And um, so I'll spare you other stories, but I had a series of just things like that where, like, I just don't want anything to do with any of you. And, um, and so we all know that just by me saying the word church, I don't think I know of anyone that has only had positive experiences. Most people, including me, have had both. You've had really negative things and really amazing experiences in church. One of the things that changed my attitude towards church is, is what Jesus says in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And he says that he will build, he says, I will build my church. That Jesus Christ is the one who's responsible for building up his followers. That he is the one who takes initiative in our lives. But he uses community to help us all grow. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, even as I was studying this week, is, is the word church. Um, it, it was a translation mistake. And here's what's interesting, you know, uh, if you study language and Bible, uh, the Bible and that kinds of thing. When translators translated the word ecclesia, you've probably, maybe you've heard of that word before, from when, when Jesus says, I will build my church, it's the word, I will build my ecclesia, which is just, um, and this is a very unintentional choice of our name of our church, but this means gathering. That's what the word means. So I will build up my gathering. I will build up my fellowship. I will build up my congregation. Those kinds of words. It's not the word church. And so you might be thinking, well, how in the world did we get the word, word church? Well, it comes from a German word. So when people were translating things, we can blame the Germans for World War II, and we can blame them now for uh, the word church in our Bibles. And the German word is spelled K-I-R-C-H-E. And that's how we got the word church um, in, in our English Bibles. But what's interesting is that there's a guy way back in the 1500s named William Tyndale. And he wrote an English translation from Greek to English. And, and I meant to have you, I wanted to, I forgot to have it typed up this morning, but you can still read the William Tyndale translation. And guess what? He, did, he does not use the word church in Matthew uh, 16. He says this, that, um, that I will build up a, a congregation. That William Tyndale, when he translated in the 1500s the Greek New Testament into English, he did not use the word church. And what's interesting about his story, he's just, if, you, if you want a, a story to get you thinking about the Christian life, you've got to check out William Tyndale because it, it wasn't just that is, issue, it was other issues also and how he translated the Bible that cost him his life. Um, he, he was literally put to death, put in prison for his handling of God's word, of, of how he translated it just from Greek to English and he would not compromise on the truth. And... Um, you know, it's maybe like the, the worst example of church. When you start murdering people, right, um, that's, that's a, a really dark, bad place. But that's what happened to William Tyndale um, for his unwillingness to compromise. And so when Jesus says, I will build my ecclesia, he's really talking about a gathering of people, and he's not talking about a specific place, a church or a church building. So this morning... If you have your bulletin, we're going to look at Hebrews and, and look at this passage that helps us really understand what it means to be a part of a community that helps you grow. So again, we looked, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we looked at 1 Peter, where Peter finishes his letter and says that I want you to grow in grace. 
And so what we're talking about this morning is that God gives us things. The means of grace, one of those means is each other, that we are to help each other. So here's how we'll break this up. Number one, we'll look at the necessity of Christian community. Number one, the necessity of Christian community. Number two, the nature of Christian community. What is it like? And then number three, the motive for being a part of Christian community. So number one is this, the necessity of Christian community. Why is it important? Well, if you look in verse 25 uh, in, on your bulletin or in your Bible, there's a couple of key words. And uh, the author of Hebrews says that we are not to neglect to meet together. It says, do not neglect. Do not stop meeting. The positive is that you are to regularly be meeting that that is an important part of the Christian life. And in fact, what's interesting about this word of meet together, you'll recognize the word, but it's basically, if you, if you break it down to its most simple form, it's the word synagogue with a prefix in front of it, epi. So epi synagogue would be the Greek word. But it just means this, that we are to gather together. And this prefix in front of it adds some intensity to it, some significance to it. So the author of Hebrews is saying, do not neglect. Make sure you are meeting together. That make sure that your lives are touching. That's the significance. So that's number one word is don't neglect meeting together. Number two is the second word in verse 25 that says, um, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. And that is just one word in the Greek, and that's parakaleo. And kaleo means to call, and para means you're coming alongside. So, what the author is saying is that we are called to come alongside one another. That we are called to come alongside one another. I read this quote, and here's why this is so important. I read this quote. This is from Eugene Peterson. He's the guy that was a pastor for decades and wrote the, the popular Bible called The Message. And he said this, Every congregation is a congregation of sinners. As if that weren't bad enough, they all have sinners for pastors as well. And so here's the point. We all need each other. We are, are all in ne equal need of one another. We are all in equal need of meeting together. We are all in equal need of parakaleo, of coming alongside one another. This means that we are all in need because we are, all of our lives are marked by sin. We all need encouragement. We all need each other to come alongside and offer encouragement. I read this week uh, an article about how trauma, trauma prevents trust. And, uh, and I want you to think about that for a second, how trauma prevents trust in our lives and how important that relates to being a part of a community. Everyone here has um, experienced different forms of, of uh, heartache in life, of, of different forms of trauma. And what I want us to think about for a moment is how sin impacts our lives. And one of the ways that sin impacts our lives is not even the things that we've done or the choices we make, but things that have happened to us. So, for example, if you've been abandoned, if you've been in a loving relationship, if you've been in a loving family and someone in the family, a parent or something, abandons the family, if you're a child, you've done absolutely, absolutely nothing wrong at all, but you still feel the pain of feeling abandoned. 
You can experience abuse where you are an innocent victim of emotional abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and you are experiencing the trauma of that sin, even though you've done nothing wrong at all. So there are all forms of ways that as people, as human beings, we can experience trauma. And what it's, it's worth it for us to think about for a moment is this idea, is that when you go through trauma, when you go through a traumatic experience, that prevents you or makes it very difficult to you to live in trust relationships. And that is why one reason why so many people don't like church. If you've been burned by a church, you no longer trust. If you've been burned in a marriage, you're going to be very cautious about getting married again. If you date and you date and you date and each one ends in a traumatic experience, it's going to make you hesitant to date again. And so the author of Hebrews is saying this, that it is necessary that you are part of a community, that you meet together, that you share your lives, that you that you come alongside one, of an, one another. Why? Because of the reality that many, many people experience trauma in their lives. And when trauma happens, it prevents people from trusting one another. I read a quote uh, this week from the early church, and they said this. This is thousands, a couple thousand years old. We engage to watch over one another in love. That means there's a part of your life that you understand the importance of community, that you are actively engaging in loving one another, that you actually care and you look out for people. You understand, you have a sensitivity, you have an understanding that people struggle with trust because of trauma. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, we read this morning, um, he says this, that to be very, very careful because sin has the power to deceive you. And one of the ways that happens is through trauma. You think it's better, you feel like you're more safe, your life is better off if you don't trust, if you're not part of community. And the writer says at the last part of the verse is that that will harden your heart. That we have to be aware. Think about this, how this, this works out in, in marriage relationships. If there's a traumatic experience that happens in a marriage, very difficult to trust again. And what happens is, for your own sake of safety, you harden your heart. So the writer is saying this, do not neglect meeting together. That is actually really, really important part of your life that we are gathering together, that we are coming alongside one another. That's number one. Number two is this, the nature of Christian community. So that, that's asking the question, what is it supposed to be like? What are, what, what are the character traits of our community? And let's look at verse 24 to help us understand this. Number one is the word consider. Verse 24 says this, let us consider. It means this, that we are to be thoughtful people, that we are to be um, careful in how we think about this, about our Christian community. We are to reflect, we are to ponder, you are to write down ideas. You are to think about ways, even in your smaller community of friends. And what are you to think about? You're to think about ways you can grow. You're to think about ways you can grow closer to Christ. 
You're to be reflective, thoughtful people that understands that sometimes that means upsetting the status quo. By nature, as groups, as communities, we're always going to migrate towards safety and comfort and security. And that leads us to the next word. It's a very interesting word. So the verse begins, verse 24, let us consider, that's the, the mind thinking part. The next part is this interesting word, and literally it means to spur, to spur on, like a cowboy would have spurs on his boots to make the horse go. And, it, and it, what's interesting about this word is it's not an overly positive word. It's this idea of that sometimes we can be a little bit stubborn as people. We can be stubborn like a mule, and we don't want to, we don't want to love. We don't want to be a part of community. We just want to follow the crowd. But this is a, has a negative aspect to this word where you are willing to disagree, where, we, where you are willing to have a, a confrontational aspect to this to help you grow. And one of the marks of a mature Christian is this, is that you give someone access to your life that they can spur you on. If you don't have anyone in your life that can say, hey, you need to... You need to clean up this part of your life or you need to spur you on to growth, if you don't give someone access to your life, you give them permission to spur you on, that makes growth very, very difficult. So a mature believer will give someone access to their life. If you want to grow, if you want to be a growing Christian, if you want to grow in grace, give someone that you know and trust access to your life. Let me take a moment to give an example and to, to get us to think about what this means to spur on by asking a couple questions. Are you reckless with your words? Do you need someone in your life to spur you on to rethink about how you speak? Are you reckless with your sexuality? Are there addictions to pornography, pornography or other types of things? Do you need someone in your life to spur you on to purity? Are you reckless with your money? Do you view your money as just, it's mine, it's for my own pleasure, it's for my own needs? Or are you willing to rethink what the Bible says about how you speak to one another? Are you willing to rethink about what the Bible says and the limits that the Bible puts on human sexuality? Are you, willing to, are you willing to rethink what the Bible teaches about money, about generosity, and about the danger and how it can have a grip on our lives? So the author says this, verse 24, let us consider, let us think, let us spur each other on to do what? To love and good works. And that is the key. And in that order, to love and good works. We are to be thoughtful people. We are people who are willing to, <clears throat> to push each other on to love. So what the author is saying is this, that the most important thing, and that when you read the book of Acts and you look forward, the most clear and obvious focus is how do Christians get along? How do we love each other? How do we selflessly and sacrificially love one another? And that's why when you look throughout the Bible, there are, there are just 
dozens, literally, and I'm going to show you just a few this morning of how we can connect thinking and spurring to love one another, okay? So I think we have these on the board, um, to just a few of these. So number one is this. We spur each other on to love, and the options are this. You can hold a grudge against someone that's hurt you, which is the natural inclination. Hold on to grudge and use it against the person. Or you can spur each other on to forgive one another. These are all about one anothering. What does it mean to one another each other? It means we're thoughtful and we spur each other on to love. Number two, you can either criticize each other or you can accept one another. You know what's interesting? When you read the New Testament, it doesn't ever say, um, it is your job to fix everyone. It is your job to sanctify everyone. It is your job to find everyone else's faults. No, it says this, that we are to accept one another in love. You know what that means? It means we all have flaws. It means we're all in process. It means no one has it totally figured out. It means that we better be careful about pride. We better be careful about the words we use. We better be careful about how we lovingly accept one another and understand that God is working on each other's lives. Next, we can ignore one another or we can care for one another. Galatians. Think about how damaging it is to ignore another human being. Next, we can submit to one another or we can fight one another. There is a time and a place to stop talking and just allow someone else to be right. Allow someone else to make the call. You don't always have to get our way. Next, you can abandon one another or you can bear with one another. Now the idea of bearing with one another means you are actually willing to take the load off of someone else and carry the load with them. That you are willing to take something out of their backpack, the burden of sin that's weighing them down, and you're willing to take it and put it on your backpack. Next, you can reject each other or we can restore one another. Reject or restore. Next, you can um, love one another or despise each other. So let me connect this back with the author again. The author of Hebrews is saying this, be thoughtful, spur one another on to love. And now I'm giving you specific examples. You can confess your sin to one another. You can offer hospitality to one another without complaining. You can seek good for one another and not repay evil for evil. And Jesus sums it up in the most clear way possible when he says in John chapter 13 that everyone, everyone will know you are disciples if you love one another. That the chief characteristic of the New Testament church is that we love one another. And we are thoughtful in it. And that we put it into practice One of the most important points in this part of the book of Hebrews is this, is that it's not about more and more knowledge acquisition. It's about living this out. And that's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. We're called to live this out. The core issue 
is how we love one another. The core issue is how do we get along? The core issue is what happens when you don't get your way? And Jesus is saying that the main thing is we love one another. And it's important to note this too, that most of these one another's that we just looked at are not going to happen right now on Sunday mornings from 10 to 11.15 or 11.30. Most of these are going to happen during the routine of life. It is possible that some one another thing is happening. People that come early and serve, or people that want to pray, or people do worship, or different things. People that are teaching uh, little kids right now. So there, are, there is one anothering happening right now by people that are teaching the little kids right now. But most of this happens in the routine of life. And so how do you one another each other when someone is discouraged? When someone struggles with trust? Well, how do you even know if someone is discouraged? That's why the author of Hebrews says this, you make it a priority to meet together. You make it a priority to share. How do you one another each other when someone has cancer? How do you one another each other when someone's child has walked away from the Lord? Do you offer all your perfect techniques that you did as a parent? Or you just come alongside of them and walk with them through that? How do you one another each other when someone is going through the trauma of divorce? How do you one another each other when people feel rejected, when they feel left out? How do you one another each other when someone's going through a business conflict or there's financial stress in a relationship? That's why the author says this, that we're to be thoughtful people, that we are to work hard at spurring each other on to love. The last thing we'll look at this morning is the motivation for Christian community. And here's how we do this. Look at um, the beginning part of what we read this morning uh, in chapter um, 10, verse 19. The motivation for Christian community is this. The motivation for Christian community is entering into the presence of God. It's entering into the presence of God. That you, you enter in. That, that phrase, entering in, is really interesting. And, and I came across, uh, and we'll look at it, and I'll show you here in these verses, but I want to share with you an article I, I came across um, this week. And it was, actually it was a speech that was given in 1944 at King's College in London. And it was by C.S. Lewis. He gave a speech called The Inner Ring. And he talks about, uh, it's just so amazing to me that C.S. Lewis in 1944 touches on something that controls many people's lives. And he writes this, that one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring, to be in the in-group, like middle school. Do you know how much drama there is that can be amongst girls and boys when you're 13 and 14 years old and you want to be in the popular group? Here's the secret. It happens when you're 40. It happens when you're 30 and you're 40 and you're 50. And it's a problem. He goes on and says this, Of all the passions, the passion for the inner ring is the most skillful in making a man who is not yet a very bad man do very bad things. You will do very bad things if it is your goal in life to be a part of the popular group. 
He says this, once the first novelty is worn off, let's just say you make it in. You're in the in group. Once, once the first novelty is worn off, the members of this circle will, will no longer be interesting to you. They will no longer be interesting than your, more, more interesting than your old friends. Why should they be? You are not looking for virtue or kindness or loyalty or humor or learning or wit or any of these things that can really be enjoyed. You merely wanted to be in. And that pleasure cannot last. As soon as your new associates have been stalled to you uh, by the custom, you will, no, you will begin looking for another ring. The rainbow's in will still be ahead of you. And then he finishes by saying this, To a young person just entering adult life, the world seems full of insides, full of delightful intimacies, of confidentialities, and he desires to enter in them. But if he follows that desire, he will reach no inside that is worth reaching. The true road lies in quite another direction. The obsession with being on the inside is a delusion. And think about where we live in Malibu and, and how people obsess over the most ridiculous things when there is no such thing as the in-group. The disciples worried about this and stressed about this. And Jesus said that if you want to be first, you've got to be last. You have to pick up your cross. That means you're willing to die to your, self, your selfishness and your self-centered ego. So the motivation is this, is that there is one true entering in. There's only one true entering in that matters. That's verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places by the blood of Jesus. He is saying something here, and I, we don't have time this morning to go into it in as much detail, but he is saying something that completely is paradigm shifting, paradigm exploding, because what he's saying here is that there's only one day a year that the high priest can go into the most holy of holies. So you had different layers within the temple. And as you went deeper in, fewer and fewer people had access. And the most holy of holies, the high priest had access one day a year. Now he's saying this, that you are, if you are a follower of Christ, you are as in as in can be. You cannot be any more in. You are in the most holy place. And what got you access there? The blood of Jesus his death on the cross. The motivation for Christian community is understanding what you have access to. And you have access to the presence of God every moment of your life. Next, verse 20 through 21, you enter with gratitude. You enter with gratitude. By a new and living way that was opened for us through the curtain. That is his flesh. That is talking about that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, this thick temple veil curtain was torn in half from the top down that now completely abolished the temple system and that we all have access. And that access comes through the death of Christ. Verse 22, let us draw near then with a true heart. That means you enter in with sincerity, a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith. Verses 19 through 22 convey this idea that we are to be people who can live with assurance, who can live with confidence, 
with an understanding that we have access to the presence of God and by that access, we can now be part of a healthy community. That that is your motivation, that, that you understand that you have a role and responsibility in being part of a healthy community. You have a, an understanding of the priority of community. You have an understanding that there will always be things that will want to pull you out of community. But by having access to God, by having access to the presence of Jesus Christ, that will pull you in. That will empower you to live and be a part of the Christian community. The point over these next couple weeks is this, that we are to be growing in grace. And we grow in grace when we understand that God gives us things to help us grow. And this morning I'm saying to you that one of the things he gives us to help us grow is each other, is our friendships with one another. Next week we'll talk about prayer, and then the following week we'll talk about God's voice speaking to us through his word. My hope and my prayer is that you will think through and you will renew your commitment, not to um, this property or some um, structure of, of church, that you will renew and commit your lives to one another, to loving one another. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we continue in worship, that your Holy Spirit would prompt our hearts to be filled with gratitude, with sincerity, with awe, that we can enter into your presence because of what your Son, Jesus Christ, has done. Father, I pray that there would be a renewing within our hearts to see the value of what you're doing here. <clears throat> we understand that you are the Good Shepherd, that you are the one that's leading our church. <clears throat> I pray that we would be a community that are open to the power of your Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to know that we are all in process and you are the one who is leading our sanctification. <clears throat> we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.